Um, my name is Andrew, as has been mentioned. I'm church planting at the moment in an area called Ridvelin, which is part of Pontypridd here in South Wales, and uh, used to be up in Manchester and was involved in a number of church plants up around the Northwest and elsewhere. So what I want to talk tonight is knowing what you're building and just looking at the whole thing of what has God spoken to you? How do you know God's spoken to you and how do you go for it? And uh, I want to start by talking about a lady called Florence Chadwick. Some of you may have heard of her. She was a long distance open water swimmer. And in the 1950s, she gained some notoriety because she swam. She was the first woman to swim the English Channel both ways. She swam from England to France. And I don't know then if she realized she just needed to get back, but she swam back again. And so she did this both ways, the first to do it. But two years later, on the 4th of July, 1952, she wanted to be the first person, first woman, to swim from the Catalina Islands to mainland California. And as she arrived to swim this 21 miles of open water, this time it would be warmer, but now shark infested. As she arrived, a thick fog came down on the water. And as she got in, this fog was thick and she started swimming. It was cold and she swam and she swam. She actually swam for 15 hours and eventually called out to her support team, said, I can take it no more, take me out. And so they pulled her out of the water, put her back on the boat, and then they discovered just that actually she was less than half a mile from the shore. Later, she said in an interview, all I could see was the fog. Look, I'm not excusing myself, but I think if I could have seen the shore, I would have made it. And what I want to look at a bit tonight is, what is it you're building? What is it that God has spoken to you? So I'm going to use a grid, and I hope this works. I'm going to use a very simple grid. It's just going to be a square, and at each point, there's going to be something at the top of it. So let me see if this works. Hey, there we are. So I want to start by just looking at this, vision. What are you doing this for? What are you building? What is it that you're going for? And so at the very top, what is it that got you into church planting? What is it that motivates you? What is it that you're actually building? And how are you going to develop that? And one of the things I want to, to look at is the book of Nehemiah. And many of you will know about Nehemiah and how there's Nehemiah. He's uh, the wine taster for the king in exile. And then one day he hears a report of the state of the walls in Jerusalem. And he hears that the city is open to attack. The walls are, are just desolate. And he is disappointed, he's upset, and then he grieves. He's grieving at what he hears. And eventually the king sees him grieving and says to him, what, what is it that has upset you? And he, he tells the king about the walls and about his home city. And the king says, I'll give you all that you need to go repair the walls. And so Nehemiah comes back and he looks at the walls. He goes around, he checks the walls, he looks at what is happening. And then he goes to the people and he says to the people, look, the walls are in ruins. And then he talks about all that the king's done for him and God's talking to him. And he says, now let's build. And the people say, let's build. I want to start by just saying the thing that is so important about vision is there's always a story behind any vision statements. If someone says, I believe this, you always say, well, what, what's the story behind that? How did, how did you come to this? 
So I met the one time I was helping a church and they had a vision statement which was something like towards 500. And I kind of said, How do, what's the story behind that? And then in all honesty, they looked and laughed and said, well, the church down the road had towards 400. And I said, well, look, the truth be told, they probably got a story about it. That has got no vision in it. And so when you look at what it is you're going for, part of the vision, when you share the story, that's where faith comes. So for me, how do we end up in pont Well, as I said, I was up in Manchester and God very clearly spoke in a dream about us coming back to Wales and to be involved in church planting. And then I was leading uh, a large church in Cardiff and uh, I really felt God was starting to speak that actually it was a time to go and plant. It was time to go and plant a church. It's time again to go and do something. And so I met with the trustees and said, look, I just think God is saying that there's um, something about to happen. And I think we, me and Liz and the family are going to be on, on the move. And they said, where, where to, where to? I said, well, at the moment, I don't know. I just, just know God's doing something. My reading that morning was about Samuel telling Saul, don't do anything till I come. And so Saul, of course, goes and doesn't wait for Samuel and he does the sacrifice and as a result loses everything. And I just felt God say, wait till you hear Samuel, which is very embarrassing to be sitting with your trustees and your elders and they're saying, what do you think God's saying? I'm saying, I've got to wait for Samuel. And then a few weeks later, we had our television on and I was just sitting, I think I had a glass of wine, I was sitting and suddenly was a man called Eddie Butler was doing a TV program on Ponte Prive. And he suddenly goes, well, he said, I just want to, I just want to hand over now to my friend Samuel. And suddenly there's this man, Samuel, walking over the bridge, and he says, Pontypridd is the place for you. Pontypridd is the place to reach Wales. And I turned to my wife and said, I think I've just heard Samuel. And of course, this man was talking about businesses and a good place for business to come. But actually, for us, it was Samuel who spoken. So then when we started saying, right, we're going to go and plant a church into the valleys, into Pontypridd, it was great sitting with all the other leaders in Pontypridd, the other churches, and then saying, why are you coming here? And you said, well, Samuel told me. And you tell the story. And the reception and the warmth was really great. And then I felt God say, ask them, where should we plant? And so I said, where, where should we, where's nothing happening? And they said, oh, Ridvelin. That's an area nothing's happening. So I said, okay, we'll go to Ridvelin. So then we took a time, and this is the thing, is that you have a vision, God gives you something, we're going to do it. But then as you move into the area, the vision starts to get more clarity. And there were, again, prophetic words that came. So one word was, you're to plant something like a mustard seed, deep, buried deep into the ground. In other words, to reach the communities in Wales, we had to plant something that went right into the community that impacted the community. It couldn't just be a big thing, invite everyone to. They had to get in. And I kind of now, the more I look at my nation in Wales, is you realize it's community upon community upon community. And you have to plant. And so we've taken our time and we kind of started to plant this. And slowly doing it, we've now, uh, we're just recently seen quite a few salvations, which has been really exciting. And uh, we've got another baptism next, uh, in two weeks time. And that's been really encouraging, but it's taken time to build and that vision of what it is you're building. So we knew we want to build here. But the other part of the vision was that it's like a strawberry plant that has runners and other congregations. And so we're starting now 
to look at where are those other congregations that we want. And so the vision is what you're going for. The vision is what you can see. I remember many years ago in Manchester when I was working with Colin Barron and, and he had a vision, 20 churches. And that was just what we were going for. We wanted to see those churches planted. And that's still one of the things that is going on and working towards. That vision, knowing what it is that God wants you to do. But where it can all fall down, and I think one of the biggest stumbling blocks is actually this other element I want to share with you, if I can get this to, to work, if it comes up, here it is, is action, your time, your diary. Do you do the things that fit with your vision? And I think this is often the point where actually things fall down. I think this is so often, I've seen uh, churches go with a vision, with an expectation, full of faith, this is where we're going. And then your diary gets full with really good things. It can be suddenly pastoral stuff. It can be meeting other church leaders. It can be going to conferences. It can be doing preaching here, doing this. And suddenly you're being very busy, but actually not saying, am I fulfilling that which God gave me to do? Am I giving myself to the vision? And I, I think this is where many of us struggle. I'd say that's where I struggled. When we first planted the church, I felt God say, you've got three years to build a team that will lead the church and release you. And so I kind of sat there and thought, okay, three years. The first year I spent really doing, getting caught up in some real pastoral issues. And there was one guy, took a lot of my time, I was trying to help him, trying to care for him, and uh, I suddenly realized, actually, he's taking all my diary time, but actually I'm not doing what God told me to do. I'm not building the team. I'm not putting that in place. There's no way this guy's going to be part of the team, yet he's taking my diary time. He's taking so much of who I was. And I think that is so often the challenge, that you see what God says, and then you arrive, or you're just your time is taken up by other things. You think of Nehemiah. He arrives, he tells the story, he tells them we're going to build the wall, he tells the story of how God's been with him, and then he builds the wall. He then instructs them, and they start building. Can you imagine, someone could have said, actually, Nehemiah, could we actually help build my house first? It'd be really nice, got a nice idea to an extension. It was a good idea. Or someone else says, well, actually, I'm, I'm feeling a bit ill. Could I have some... But actually, he had to say, no, no, we're going to build. And it is so hard sometimes when we, are, when we are going for a vision with something that we know God's told us to do, and there are so many other issues come our way. And actually, really good things. You can suddenly get, so I know I can get lots and lots of different preaching engagements, I can get lots of different invitations to things, and you could be away and actually not do the very thing God called you to do, which is to build a church locally, train and equip leaders and release them and serve a nation. And so I think so often, actually, that's the biggest challenge. You've got the vision, but actually our action and our diary can be out of sync. And when it's out of sync, you can be very busy and actually get quite tired and not really be fulfilling that which you're going for.
So for me, when I suddenly realized actually I needed to develop a team, that had implications on my actions. So firstly, I suddenly realized I've got to spend time with people that I'm training and equipping, that they are my priority, that they're the ones who have first access to my diary. They're the ones who I'm going to meet with that the leaders meetings become a priority that we gather together we have fun together i encourage them and and they know get to know me better the other thing was realizing it means i'm just not going to preach that often because i want to train these guys to preach i want them to lead meetings i want them to take on stuff so at that point i released them more and more and actually i'm now at a point three years later where by the grace of god i've got a great team who actually does release me and is in place but to get there, there's been sometimes personal costs. There's moments you're sitting in meetings, you're thinking, oh, we've got visitors, I wish I was speaking, but no, 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 it is much better that that's what's happening. And it's funny, if you think about when God has spoken, that actually it is amazing how other things battle for your time, even Jesus. So we have that strange moment with Jesus, with the Samaritan woman, when she's, he's walking and the woman says, please heal me. He says, no, I'm not here for you. I'm here for the Jews. And she says, even the crumbs, don't even cut the crumbs come off the table. A sense of actually, Jesus responds to faith, but Jesus had to be focused. I, I'm here for this purpose. I'm here for this reason, and I can't get distracted. And so often, I think sometimes when we are pioneering, there's lots of things, because sometimes pioneering is hard work. And dare I say, sometimes it, you can be on a long route that sometimes it's nice to have some quick easy wins it's when your diary though is full of them where it's full of things that actually are distracting from your very core so you have your vision which has a story and that's that's what god has given you and each of you will have your own story you'll have things that you're believing god for and you've talked it through with people and and it's shaped on the journey it is it is shaped bit by bit you have the community, what you're building is shaped and what you're going to go for and how that's going to look. I was up in North Wales uh, this weekend at a, a church in Flint. And it's a brilliant church. They've just taken on a, a they've bought a, a, they've had a pub building and they've just done this massive refit of it. And it, it's brilliant. Their vision was to be a hub right in the heart of the community. And when you go into this building, it's the best I'd say one of the best church buildings I've been in, in the sense you walk in and you think this is a community facility that's also home for the church. You don't walk in and think, here's a church trying to do community activity. It's right in. But the DNA of who the church is is in everything. And when I sat with the guy who leads it, he just shared very briefly, that was the vision. So as they designed the building, everything, the actions, everything they did was fulfill that which God has called them to build. And so I just think there's always that challenge. You know, when you start to see this is what God's called us to do. This is our vision. This is the bit, the top of the square. This is the bit we're working to. But your time has to be dictated to by the vision, not other things. Because if you get distracted, you're not going to fulfill the very thing you are going for. And I know personally that really is one of my battles. The other thing at the bottom of this grid and uh, if, I'm, if this works is you've got here the sort of the, the matrix I call it the measure what you measure what are you measuring what is it you're measuring so you've got your vision that which you believe God's given you that which you're going to go for as a church 
your time, your action, what you give yourself to. Are you going for that, which is working towards the vision? And then at the bottom, you've got this matrix, this, this what do you measure? And this is always very interesting because I would say um, what you measure, what you measure shows what's important to you. So does it fit with your vision? So you might measure your Sunday attendance. That, that might be the thing that really matters. Well, what is your vision? Are you actually measuring something that fulfills the vision? Some people might measure the money. That actually, and that is an important thing. Obviously, we need to have the money to sort of work, make the whole thing work and everything function. But is that, how's, how are you measuring it? Is it a faith measurement or is it a fear measurement? Or are you measuring like baptisms? Are you measuring those who've responded to Jesus? Actually, what you measure does show where you, what you find as important. Where you see your importance is what you know, what you measure. So if someone comes to me and asks me, what were you, what, how many churches have you, have you got planted in Wales at the moment? I can say, well, we've got these numbers working here. We've got the second congregation here. You can know what it is you're about. You can know what it is you're working towards. If someone said to me, you know, what's, how many people have you seen baptized recently? I can say, yeah, we've seen, we've seen three people baptized recently. We've got another one coming up soon. And actually we're going for bi-monthly baptisms because we think that's going to be important. What is it that you measure? And how does that fulfill the vision and what God has got for you? It's quite an interesting challenge. And then the last thing in all of this, and, um, and I've got quite a bit of other things, is, is this is the culture, the culture, the culture of what you're building. Now that's gonna shape absolutely everything that you're going for. Your culture will shape how the vision is worked out. The culture will shape how your actions and how your diaries worked out. Your culture will shape what it is that you're measuring. And I think sometimes one of the biggest challenges for any kind of uh, church planting, any kind of church building, or anyone going for a vision, is that sometimes the culture can be the end goal. And sometimes your culture, your values, sometimes that almost can end up looking more like, dare I say, can end up feeling more like actually your vision. So what do I mean? Well, we want to be a church where people belong, where people uh, be become believers and a place where people, are, you know, kind of be be behave. They actually, we want to go that way round. We want people to, to basically, so, so we want people to believe, we want people to <laughs> belong, believe, become. We want them to come and be part of a family, connected to a family. We want to have open worship. We want contributions. We want everyone involved. We want to build that and develop that. That's, that's our culture. We want it that everyone has a go. We want things done well, but actually for me, it's more important that everyone is involved than everything's done well. But I want things done well. I, want, I do want it to be good, and we want to reach into this community. What can often happen is we can get so focused on that culture that that actually becomes our vision. So suddenly you go to a church and you say, well, what is it you're about? Well, we're about becoming a family. We're about getting everyone involved. We're about this, about this, about this. That, that, and that is all brilliant. They're all really important, really spectacular and 
it good things to do. The challenge is, it's the culture towards a vision. It's kingdom culture. What you're actually wanting is, I want a culture where the kingdom of God is outworking amongst us. I want a culture where people go, but there's a purpose, which is to see a church planted, to train up leaders to plant other churches, to go and affect a nation. So you sit there and you actually say, do you know what? The culture cannot be the vision. And so often you can sit with people who say, I know what I want my church to be. The hardest thing is often they'll tell you what they don't want it to be as well. And often people have more clarity about what they don't want than what they do want. And the big thing is saying, no, if your culture becomes your vision, then actually you've kind of have lost it. So Nehemiah could have turned up and said, I want a culture, I want everyone involved, I want everyone working in their own houses. And I just want to measure that everyone is doing that and working around your own place. And, and that, that would be great. You'd have everyone involved, everything happening. But actually, the vision was to build a wall. And so when we are looking at what we're building as churches and as leaders, I think it's so important that we keep thinking, what's the vision that God's given us again? How has that been shaped? How are we, how are we defining that? What, what are the things we're going for? What are, what are the bits? That, what's the story of how that, how that comes into being? What actions? Does my diary reflect that? Is my time going into what I can give? And, and that, as I said, is really hard because sometimes you have to say no to really good things to say, actually, I can't at the moment. I've, I've got I've to help this happen. I've got to give my time and energy into this so that we can fulfill what we're doing. Another thing then is, is what is it you're measuring? What is it you measure? What is it that you're looking and say, hey, do you know what? This helps me know I'm on track. This helps me know that actually we're kind of building. So for instance, <clears throat> for the, the leadership, developing a team, I suppose I realized I had to give myself time into the couples I was building and developing and the people I was developing and working with. And then actually, what am I measuring? I'm measuring, how is this growing as a team? How are they doing? Are they taking stuff on? Are they, uh, do, you know, what's their preaching? You're measuring how that team is developing. And then ultimately the culture is one of friendship, fun and laughter and everyone together doing it. And the challenge is just to keep going back to what God says. And I want to go back right again to the story of the call of God. Because if you haven't got that, when difficult times come, it's really hard to keep going. And the truth is, we're all going to have times where it's just fantastic. And you'll say, this is great. I'm loving this. This is how it should be. And look, we've got new visitors, new family. And then you go through times where someone's left. And uh, someone you were kind of working with, and you thought, oh, this is good. And then suddenly they're gone. And you think, what happened there? And obviously you can learn lessons of things. But, but actually, it, it's amazing how to keep going because struggles come. And Nehemiah had people that opposed him, laughed at him, joked at him. And so often when you go for it, you need to have the story, that, that sense of, I know God spoke. I know it's right to keep going. Since returning to Wales in 2005 for Liz and me, it's not been easy. I was quite seriously ill and that went on for a couple of years. And then we went through a horrible time with uh, Liz's work and went through all of this. It's not been easy. But what is it that keeps you going is the call. What is it that keeps you going is God spoke about us returning to Wales to plant churches and to reach a nation. And that's what keeps you going. The other thing is, is building teams that 
really encourage you and uh, keep you motivated and keep you going. And just want to end with three things I think are really important in developing uh, that keep you going for it. One is uh, having obviously your relationship with God, knowing that that is in a good place. You know, even Jesus, when he is about to be become the spirit's about to fall on him and his ministry is about to start, first thing he hears is his father saying, "You are my son, and I am well pleased with you." And there's that moment of just knowing we are loved by God. We're pleased. God is pleased with us. Another thing is is developing those around you who love you and who can speak honestly and work with you and can help you to say, actually, if this is the vision, why are you doing this? You, you, need, to, you need some time here. You need, you need to do this. You need to give yourself to this and that team that, that's caught up. And then I think then a third thing is, is creating community that know you and love you and having a church community that enjoy you being around. There's nothing worse then I was in a church meeting where the leader felt unloved by the church. Now, obviously, there's always somebody that you kind of think, but to have a community that people are on the mission together, but then all the time knowing exactly what it's for. So I just want to end by this last comment. The culture is interesting. If you look in the book of Acts, just as Jesus has ascended into heaven, there's 10 days between the ascension and Pentecost. You've got a community there. They're full of joy. They're looking at God's word. That are worshiping. That are encouraging one another. Are appointing leaders. And you'd say that's a great community. And if you were looking at the culture being your your vision, well, that they're doing really well. But then the spirit of God comes on them, and the first thing the spirit does is he takes them out of the upper room, their safe place their secure place, and takes them out on the mission that God's got for them. Can I just encourage us, let's never end up with creating upper rooms. That in church planting, we can feel vulnerable at times, and we just want to create a safe place, get people in, oh, this is nice, oh, I like this. But to keep thinking that the Spirit is going to take us out of here because we're about a bigger mission. We're here not just for these 20 people, we're here for the next 2,000. We're here to keep going to keep being pushed out. Our vision is bigger than what we've got here. And there's something about when you can express a vision, express a story, people can go for something big. They can connect to it because they can understand and they can go for it and be with you. And with that, thank you. Well, thank you so much, Andrew. That's really great stuff. So <clears throat> what we will do for the rest of our time together now is, is a chance to put whatever questions you have to Andrew. So uh, questions about things that he's talked about or uh, if there are other church planting related questions, vision related questions, leadership related questions that you would like to ask, then uh, by all means type them in. The way you ask your questions is down at the bottom of the screen. Uh, you should have a button that says chat. If you click on that, you'll get a little panel that appears, and then in there you can type the questions, I will see them, and I will put them to Andrew. So to start with, the first question uh, I'd like to ask, just going right back to the very start of what you were saying, uh, you said that there's a story behind a vision statement um, uh, in yeah. most cases. And can you talk a little bit about how much of that story is kind of the main leader's story and what they brought into it? 
versus being a shared story of a team who together have seen some stuff uh, and are going after it. Is it in your experience mainly driven by you or, or do other people kind of feed into that story a bit? I think other people feed into it. Mm -hmm. So I think there is a sense of, there's a story that you carry. So there's a story of which God has spoken to me to do in Wales, which, are, which is what he's called me to do. Then other people get excited, connect into that, but actually they have a story as well. And so, you know, for instance, with us here, you know, in my team, there are people who have got uh, stories that are how God brought them to where they are planting alongside me here in the valleys. Mm -hmm. And it's a story of how God brought them to Ridvelin and to be brought into it. You know, so everyone's got their story, but actually I think then you've got a team that when you look at what is it, the vision that God's going for, actually each of us have parts of, that play into that. But I think for Nehemiah, there was a clear, this is the story that motivated the people to build. Then you've got the stories of all the people who are then building and how, how they got excited by it and they're going for it. So I think in a sense, you know, there are times when it's a shared moment. There will be times when there's a, a prophetic word. So for us, the word about the seed being buried, the mustard seed buried into the ground, wasn't a word brought to me. It was into a joint context. It was where we together, this word came. And communally, everyone said, yes, that, that explains, that, that defines what we're doing. That's right. And then the second one, when it's then a strawberry plant with runners going out, suddenly then people can understand why we've now got potential in another congregation somewhere else, because that kind of fits what God has spoken. So it is a, there's a corporate prophetic story, but I think also the story that keeps you as a planter and the leader, you need to know that you've heard God yourself and going for it. Just, just kind of building on the same theme and carrying on with it then. If the people who are working with you, they've bought into your story and the big story, and also they're bringing something of their own story and uh, even perhaps their own trajectory and vision and things that God's laid on their heart. What are some of the things that, that you do to kind of keep them focused on what you're doing together and simultaneously give them the space to, to go after and grow in the things that are a kind of their thing from God? So, so for instance, we've got a lady called Heather, and she felt God speak to her about, you know, being into, right into the community. She has a passion for Ridvelin that is brilliant. And she did the university, stayed, wanted to be around. And then her story is she's ended up leading our Eden team, working into that community. And so, you know, in a sense, her story helps shape the whole thing now. In many ways, I keep saying, actually, her story is shaping the Ridvelin thing into, our, into what God wants it to be. And so, you know, her going for it has actually helped really shape what we're going for in this community. It's helped shape where we meet. It's helped shape how, when we meet, you know. And so, so I think there, there's that element. I think then there's another element, which is the bigger, the bigger the vision, the more room there is for people to go for it. Mm. So if it's a very tight vision, and a very small vision, everything's got to kind of fit into this, and it's you've limited it. Mm. But when God says it's a nation, <laughs> when God says it's the nation for the nations, that gives room for people to develop and to go for it. Some will remain here, some will go and plant, some will go 
but but actually what you're looking for is i want to i want to release people to go for what god's got and so you see in the early church you know they have this extraordinary moment where the spirit comes on them they have this this they've got the story of saying goodbye to jesus they've got the story of being in the upper room and then they have to come out and interesting when they come out of the upper room you have lots of different stories beginning and then suddenly you've got philip going off to samaria and you've got suddenly poor stephen his story is suddenly going and, and so there's so many different things that go on so i think the bigger the vision the more room there is for people to go for it <laughs> Um, so someone else is asking a question, kind of linked in a bit about with your team and kind of, uh, this is about the, the training sessions that you have with your yes. leaders. So practically speaking, what do you do in those times? How do you have fun with them? How do you release them and they in turn release you? So uh, I guess some crossover, but some more, more practical thoughts on that as well. I think the first thing is, is it takes time for you to realise who it is you're really going to be building with. Mm -hmm. And actually, you can be surprised, you know, but you kind of think, hey, I, I, there's, there's a chemistry, isn't there? There's a kind of, it's fun to be together. It might be that you watch the rugby together. It might be, so I've got a team that uh, one is a, a guy who'd want to watch all the rugby matches with me, and then two others really aren't that interested. But they, but actually, when we're together, there's just, so we, we, we had a lot of meals together. We ate a lot together. We dreamt together. We did sort of see, time thinking, what would we like to see? How could this look? And, and then we kind of went on the journey through the prophetic of what it was. And I suppose I kind of then started looking at them and thinking, right, how can I help develop each of these guys? How can I, what, what do they need of me? And um, one of the things I suppose it is like, I've got five kids. And actually one of the things as a parent is all the time, your entire purpose as a parent is developing your kids to leave home. That is it. From the moment they're born, you're preparing them to leave. And uh, so, so you kind of sit and think, actually, what I realized is I've got to bring what I brought parenting-wise into the team and to help them be who God's called them to be. And so for me, that meant, you know, recognizing that we, you know, they've got good public gifts and how do I give them space? And one of the things was if I did every Sunday, if I kept speaking, I was always holding them back. I was actually hindering them. And so what I realized quite soon was I had to let them preach. <laughs> I had to let them do the preaching. And I had to look interested. So I suddenly realized my face <laughs> was doing more damage than it was. So I had to keep really looking and, oh, that's a good point. And, and encouraging them. And, and then giving good feedback and having times chatting and talking about it. But also just, I suppose, is a sense of releasing people to go for it. So I, I'm going to use an example of how Colin released me. When I came up originally to plant a church up in Manchester, Colin felt, I'm going to let Andrew go for it. And if I let him go for it and he falls flat on his face, he'll ring me and ask for help. But if I try and hold him too tight, when I release him, he won't contact me at all. So what Colin did was sort of, go on then, have a go. <laughs> and then when I kind of tripped, I was back on the phone. How would you handle this? How would you handle this? And then through that relationship. And I suppose that's kind of how I feel I've done it with my guys is I've, I've worked with them and, and they've gone for the things that they've got faith to go for. And when it's not gone right, I've been there to help them, but it is releasing them and encouraging them. Yeah, very good. So staying on this kind of vision part of it then, one of the things you were talking about for you was the importance of kind of prophetic words and God speaking and showing you something. Um, what would you say to anyone who's listening to this who who's got a kind of desire to go do something 
but couldn't pinpoint any particular words they've had from God about it. Would you say kind of go and do it anyway unless God says no or make sure you're clear that you've got one first? How, how do they get one if they uh, haven't heard? What, what would you say to that person? Well, Nehemiah didn't have a prophetic word to go and build the wall. He had a, an emotional response to something. And we worship a God who speaks through all different ways. And I think sometimes the emotional response say, do you know what? I'm grieved that there's a community that there's nothing there witnessing Jesus. I want, I want to do something. I really want to do something. And if there's faith, and if the people around you are saying, do you know what? We, we recognize faith. Go for it. I think you just, it, that is part of the story, isn't it? Why are you here? It can't be, well, I had nothing else to do. Because it's got to be, there's a reason why someone desires to do something you know and it can't be you know I once did have someone come to me so they, their desire was to be full-time in the church and I asked why they said because they want to have friends I said well don't be full-time in the church you know and but actually so there's got to be a sense of what is the motivations what are the things that are going behind you but the story is that if there's a passion in you to plant a church that's not a normal passion that's not actually the majority of the people that are out there who are saying, yeah, I really want to plant a church. The majority of people are, you know, I just want an easy life. Actually, I kind of like, <laughs> I guess like, <laughs> you know, that's often my plea is, Lord, I'd quite like just an easy life, really. But the passion to say, no, I'm going to plant again, and go again, that can only be a God-given thing. So I, I think sometimes you can, like Nehemiah, part of it was saying, hey, there's an emotional response, and then he saw the favour of God on it. And it may well be that you're just sitting there saying, I've got a real desire to plant a church. I don't know where, I don't know how. And then suddenly something grips you and you talk to someone and someone says, hey, do you know what? I've, I've got faith. That's a God. Let, let's go for it. But you just need something that is a trigger to you going. Great. So, so the faith piece that you were talking about, that kind of leads into another question that someone's asked. So they're asking uh, about kind of your own faith over the years. Um, how has that faith been challenged in kind of the good times when things have been going well and also the times it's been more of a struggle? Um, yeah any comments from your own journey about that yeah like i would i would say um it's really frustrating this but god seems to work there's moments where you just know the anointing of god and there's moments he's working on your character okay and what i find frustrating is god doesn't seem to work on my character during the good times you know when it's going well somehow my character's not being pressured in that point. It's when I'm going through a tough time that my character's been pushed. And so as I said, when we first heard God about coming to Wales, there was a really very strong prophetic vision to come. And we ended up coming. And uh, it, I've got to be honest and say, it's been a really tough time. You know, it'd be lovely to say, and it's just been great. I kind of arrived, we had three really exciting years and then I had a little bleed at the bottom of my brain stem which left me with these cluster headaches and I was in severe pain for a year and a half getting these things couldn't function and then God healed me but going through those times there were moments of thinking you know is there a God almost you know it's like but actually he was working in who I was and uh, I don't think he brought it but he allowed it and in that process God was shaping me in my character and then um i went to see a, a dear friend of mine called julian richards in swansea to talk about a church plant that's happening in swansea and he said oh he's, he had a word for me sort of sense of god's called you to the nation but the enemy hates you he's tried to destroy you for an attack on your health 
It's about to try and destroy you for an attack on your family and your spirit. And the battle then was, I remember driving home terrified, what's gonna to happen to my family? And that's when my wife had to whistleblow, she was working in a dementia ward, had to whistleblow, and the whole thing was turning, it was a horrible, horrible, horrible season. And we kind of walked through that. Now, all that has shaped who I am. The interesting thing is, it's never the big things that actually get you, it's the little things. And I never picked up this little thing and an attack on your spirit. And actually, it was just afterwards where actually things were going and going okay, but I just was feeling exhausted. And that's actually where I remember one time someone saying something in the church and I just felt cynical about it. And I was like, that's not me. And I realized, actually, that's nearly got me. So I, I think when you're going for it, there's a sense of, you know, someone once asked me, what's your greatest achievement since coming to Wales? And I said, I still believe in God and I'm still passionate about his church. And I still believe we can plant churches. And actually, I think there's sometimes that's what God loves. With whatever you've walked through, there's still that sense of, I still believe God for this. Because we need to have sometimes a, a doctrine of failure as well as success. Because not every church plant is a success. And sometimes we kind of rule ourselves out because it wasn't a success. Mm -hmm. And we think, well, that's it. You know, it's funny, in, in Britain, you have this whole sort of bankruptcy thing. If you bankrupt a company, you can't be a director again. Well, in America, you can be president and having bankrupt a few companies, you know, and it's almost seen as part of the learning curve. And I, and I think sometimes there's that sense of we can go for it and be passionate for it. And if it doesn't work, we go for it again. You know? <laughs> and that passion of saying, I believe God. And so faith is a strange thing. It's very hard to measure, but you can only measure it as I believe, I know, I know the church is the answer to Manchester to Germany, to the valleys of Wales, I am utterly convinced. And I want to make sure those who can, are gifted to do it are released to do it. That's great. Just um, expand for us a little bit more on this kind of doctrine of failure thing, because it's so uh, refreshing. It's so, so good to hear. Um, Maybe I've just failed a few times. No, 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 <laughs> really I think we all have. Um, but, um, for, for someone who can maybe that's the personal story at the moment they've had a go at something recently it hasn't gone as they wanted um and they're needing to kind of regroup and go again or or maybe for like a leader who's got someone kind of coming along to them who in the past has had a go and um it hasn't gone to plan how how can we get people back in the game what are some of the things that that we can do to kind of restore rebuild re-equip and redeploy people i i think sometimes we we neglect Barnabas in the Bible, okay? So there's always Paul. But Barnabas was the one who went and got Paul. Mm. Barnabas was one who created a culture that actually people would go for it. And even when Paul and Barnabas fall out, interestingly, you realize Barnabas was right. You know, John Mark does end up being useful to, to Paul. And so I, I think there is that sense of creating a culture of encouragement, creating a culture that, that come on, you know, you can do it. You know, God didn't speak that for you just to be wasted and to disappear. You know, there used to be the old thing in the communist times where there was the, there goes another face off the Kremlin war. <laughs> there used to be sort of every year there'd be this sort of thing in Russia. They'd all the big weapons would go and you'd be all the officials on the Kremlin wall and there'd be someone missing. They've gone. And, and sometimes church life can be a bit like that, can't it? It can be sort of, oh, what's happened to them? Or, or they've gone, or they've gone. Actually, sometimes it's that, as leaders, I think, is saying, well, hold on a second, let's, let's bring them back onto play. Let's, let's encourage them. Let's get them back 
to a place where what is God doing with them? Where is God taking them? How, how can we do this? I think when it's you personally, I just knew I, when I'm going through it, I need to connect back with people who've got faith for me. I need to connect back with people who know me, who love me, who say, come on, we can do this again. And it might be that a church hasn't gone the way you want it to, or it might be that someone you're trying to develop doesn't develop in the way you want them to, or, you know, it doesn't quite work. And you could feel, oh, rejected. But actually the sense of just saying, no, no, I've got to go back to what God's called. I've got to keep learning the lessons. I've got to keep learning. What is it I could have done better? What is it I could learn? But at the same time, to have that spirit of ultimately God uses us you know, and his kingdom is his kingdom that grows and grows and grows. And though it might not go well here, it doesn't mean, you know, it won't be anywhere. And I, and I always love this fact that Paul argues his apostolic ministry, not based on Ephesus, but based on Corinth, where actually you kind of sit there and think of all the churches to choose to say, this is the one I'm going to argue my apostolic authority on. Is you think, I think that is quite phenomenal with all the, the failure in some ways, moral failures and other things. And it wasn't a huge church, but that's the one he kind of felt this shows something of what God's given me. Yeah, that's very good. Let's kind of move on to the next bit uh, of your square then. We've talked a bit about the vision piece, but let's go on to kind of the actions for a while. So, yeah. like you were saying, that the actions that we do need to be uh, pointing towards the vision that we've got. Um, yeah. Now, I'm sure you'd be the first to say when you're planting a church, there's a ton of things that just need doing by somebody. Yeah. Uh, and when you're kind of planting it, often that somebody needs to be you. Uh, and then if you add in people who are bivocational and um, have other jobs to go to and family things and pulls on your time here, there and everywhere. How do you carve out the, the time and the space to do the stuff that is closest to the heart of the vision? I think you've got to be ruthless at times. So I think you, this is where you need to look at the team, look at who's around. And actually, it, it can't just be all you. So I've got a dear friend planting in a city nearby, and uh, he's got a, a full-time job. He's planting this wonderful church, and he was getting exhausted and feeling frustrated and feeling like nothing was happening. And it's that point where we sat down and said, what, what needs to happen? And he needed some people to take on some of the jobs. So I think at that point, you've got to be quite hard and say, what is it you bring? What is it that you bring that no one else can bring? And you've got to do that. And you've got to be in a good place to do that. Therefore, these other things, do they need doing? <laughs> you know? And actually, I, sometimes in church planting, the worst thing is actually when you get your Sunday meeting. <laughs> because sometimes people get a church and think, this is it, we've achieved what we wanted to. And actually... They haven't. They, you know, it's just part of the ingredients of what you're building. So I, I, I personally think there's a sense of, so for my friend, we had to pray in some people who could come and help. And I think also alongside that, there was a moment where I had to come in and, um, so I just do this on the computer, I had to come in and, and kind of say, actually, these people here, I've got faith they could do it. Why don't you let them take on some of the things? And I think that's sometimes why it's good to be teamed. Because you can get so caught up in this is what I've got to do. I've got to make this good, make this good. You actually can't see with eyes of faith some of the other people that are around you. Your expectation is that they let me down there. They let me down there. And I say, no, no, let them go again. So I, I genuinely think it, 
the danger is in church planting, you get very worn out earning, gathering the first 25 to 40 people. Mm -hmm. You can be running kids clubs, you can be running this, 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 and this. And actually sometimes you have to sit down and say, what is it God spoke to us about? Let's give ourselves to that and let's help train others to take on these other bits. You know, so for me, administration is a nightmare. Right? It, it genuinely, I'm dyslexic, so suddenly having to do lots of emails and stuff. So I just knew I've got to find some competent people quickly <laughs> who can take this stuff on so that we don't bankrupt the church in the first six months and we don't, you know, have no one, everyone confused. And we just reckon I've just got to put the right people in place. And, and because like, this was my biggest thing, I mentioned in the talk, but I found when you start a church, a lot of the people who can gather to you can be very, very needy. Mm. And it's amazing how you want to help them because that's why we're doing what we're doing. And then you realize actually it's just draining you. And, you know, to be honest, as a, when we planted a church in Ponte, there was one character that almost, almost drained me totally. And it was that point of realizing, oh, I've got to, change my focus here a bit otherwise we're not going to build anything yeah yeah okay so let's move on to the stuff about kind of the measuring um for a little while so you were saying um we need to be measuring the right metrics and the yeah. things that tie to the vision what what for you would be the like in, in your circumstance the the top three things that you would kind of measure to see if you're on track with with what god's called you to be doing so, so for me, the first is, are people getting baptized? Mm -hmm. Okay, that, that for me is the top thing, is are people getting baptized? Second one, are people growing in maturity in the church and taking on responsibility? Mm -hmm. But then, then there's a two strange ones. One is for the nation and one is for the nations. Mm -hmm. And God spoke to me about a church that would reach the nation. And so actually... I would then say, are we involved in the nation? Are we actually involved church planting in the nation? Are we involved in helping serve the nation? And then the other thing is what international nations are we involved in? What other nations are we involved with that actually are doors that God's using us into? So uh, when I'm asked questions about how things are going for me uh, mm -hmm. with, with church planting, usually people have their own metrics that they're wanting me to speak into yeah. and usually yeah. that's how many people come on a sunday um, it is but there'd, there'd be others alongside it how do you have those conversations with people do you just um tell them what they want to know or do you use them as an opportunity to like point them towards what you see as more important um yeah how how do you do that i, I suppose that i always go back to what is it we're trying to build mm -hmm. So actually, someone say, how many are you getting on a Sunday? But I'd be to say, hey, you know, we can get 45. 45, you know, I mean, last Sunday we had loads away. So I think we were about, I was away as well. So I'm kind of not totally sure how many were there, but I think, we were, you know, it wasn't a huge amount. And, and so you, you sit there and you think, oh, you know. But actually, if you say, well, look, I think since August, we've seen seven teenagers respond to the gospel. Uh, we're seeing them getting baptized and added in. We've got an, a new congregation kind of looking to connect with us. And actually, it's saying to people, actually, what is it that's important? I'm, I'm not just interested in just moving 
stones around the kingdom. I'm just not interested in just, you know, remove, removing Christians. So you need a bit, a few folk to help get momentum, you know, and to feel like, hey, we can take something on. But actually, your, your, your purpose is you want to see people saved and added and connected into church. And then you want to see people trained and equipped to go and plant. And one of the other things, I suppose, which I always then say is, that always excites me about the kingdom of God, is when God called me back to Wales, there were two things he really spoke to me about from the Welsh Revival in 1904. And the Welsh Revival, dare I say this, has sat like a curse over the church in Wales, right? It sits like this, this curse and everyone looking for it. But actually, in the, the rugby team in the 1970s, we had a very successful rugby team in Wales. And that sits like a curse over Welsh rugby for years until 2005, where we won the Grand Slam. And the team that won in 2005 played with the same flair of the past, but there was just different foundations. And one of the things I felt God say that he wanted to put back into the church was the passion for Jesus that was there in the Welsh Revival and the passion for the nations that was there in the Welsh Revival. In many ways, the rest of the nations were more blessed by the Welsh Revival than Wales was. You know, people went, I go to India and there's churches there because of that. And so I, I kind of sit there and think, so for me, I'm always talking to people, right, you know, are people getting excited by the nations? Are people getting caught up? So we've got a young lad, doesn't have a passport, suddenly he's getting baptised in two weeks' time, and he's talking about getting a passport because he's probably going to have a trip to Germany or a trip to India at some point in the future. And you sit there and think, now that's exciting, that momentum of the kingdom of God that changes people's lives. A Peter probably was spending, going to spend his entire life fishing on the Sea of Galilee called Simon, and then he meets Jesus, his name's changed, and then he goes to the nation. And I think that's kind of part of what I like to measure. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, we've got about five minutes left. So let me just kind of ask you uh, a question on the, the last side of your square, on the culture side yeah, yeah. of it. Um, you talked about how the culture can often in our heads become the vision and we're just trying yes. to make the culture happen. What are some thoughts on how you can create a culture that, that serves the vision? Like what, what are some of the key questions to be asking about your church culture to really kind of point it in the direction of getting people on mission, on vision, and so on? I think the whole time is, is it outward looking? Is it missional? Is it pushing forward? The kingdom of God is missional. It's pushing out all the time. You know, and I, I think the danger is sometimes uh, because we feel quite got out as Christians, we feel, you know, actually our church has become our security place and they become, as I said, the upper room and it becomes a safe place. So when a visitor walks in, they don't feel particularly welcome. They don't feel particularly connected because actually, though we want them to, <laughs> we're all saying, this is great. We like our friends, but we're only talking to our friends. And, and so the whole time I think is, is saying it, the culture has to serve the vision. So if you want to be a family, it means it's got to be a growing family. It means you want to keep having people added to it. If you want, you know, a community where people are being released, that actually also means that some people, you know, you can't have, you, because you want to serve and increase the kingdom all the time, you, you've just got to be use, careful how you use people at the same time. You know, it can't just be, hey, here we go. So, you know, I've been to church plants where you've got someone who cannot drum on the drums. And I'm a drummer, so I pick it up straight away. And I say, who in their right mind allowed that person to have drumsticks and get on the drum? So it's just nice to have everyone involved. No, at this point in time, that culture is hindering the mission. 
And it's actually those moments you're saying, it's good to have people involved. We want to encourage people. But ultimately, we're about a mission. We're about seeing the kingdom come. We want, we want to reach people. We want to get out there. And so I always have this thing of, you know, even like life groups, people, my group, what if a visitor turned up? Well, feel a bit awkward because I like to share my heart. It's a safe place. You think, well, actually, we've lost it somehow. The culture's ended up being the vision. And it's got to be, no, we're here on mission. We're here to reach the lost. We're here to plant churches. We're here to equip. We're here to go. And that's always quite painful. And it's amazing if you don't keep talking it, how quickly you settle for, I'm just enjoying this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's so helpful. So point. Um, last question then. Um, could you just recommend maybe one or two resources? So whether that's books, websites, uh, videos, sermons, whatever, that you would say uh, you would love to get into the hands of as many church planters as you possibly could? Um, there's, a, there's a book by a guy called Bruce Collins, a friend of mine, doing uh, Jesus, doing Kingdom Jesus Way. And it's just brilliant on looking at Jesus as the first spirit-filled believer and his passion for healing, the passion for the kingdom, his passion for going for it there's just something of looking at the lord's prayer as as the gospel prayer and uh it's i found it there's it's some bits in it that are challenging there are bits you think oh do i go with this you know and it but i just find that it it helps my faith to keep coming back to it's it's the kingdom of god it's it's his the gospel is the good news of the kingdom and uh, so he does a great thing of just, you know, how Jesus for 30 years does nothing until empowered by the spirit. He's, his life is a model of the first spirit filled life, which he's de- demonstrating for his disciples of how we should be. And I, I think what I find when I look at that is it prevents me from becoming professional. It prevents me from seeing this as just a, as my business. <laughs> you know, it keeps me going. This is the kingdom of God. It keeps going. So it's Bruce Collins. Jesus' gospel, Jesus' way.